welcome to the podcast of Of Course They Make Me Crazy. It's about crazy family stories. We all have one, right? More importantly, it's for those of you living with someone who suffers with a mental illness. You can start to feel lost in their world. Now, I get it. I grew up with a bipolar mom addicted to pain pills. Hoping the stories shared here will help you through difficult days. It's not all serious. We laugh and joke, too. If you have little ones around, pop in your headphones. Adults only, please. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast of Of Course They Make Me Crazy. I'm April Norris, the host. Okay, so today, um, this might surprise you, it might not, but teen suicide is up 25% nationally. So where does that come from? Well, that comes from the United Health Foundation. That foundation uh, ranks health among teens, right? And that's pretty crazy scary, I would, I would think. So if you're an aunt, uncle, parent, babysitter, whatever, you got a kiddo in your life, you should listen to this podcast because you might look at the kids in your life a little differently after that. Uh, and so whether you agree or not with us, and when I mean us, I'm talking about Mike Donahue, uh, who's joining me, my guest tonight. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Going good, buddy. So before we jump in, I want to give a little bit of a background, and I know you're going to fill us a little bit more in on your background, but I just want to talk about that you established a school program back in 2016 called Value Up. So you, you go into schools all across the United States, right? And you've been yeah. talking to millions of teens. Um, you talk about anything concerning them, drugs, anxiety, social media, loneliness, anger. Um, but more importantly, you talk to them about how to value themselves, which I think is so super cool because, you know, there's a lot of devaluing going on. Uh, but you created this value up with Craig Scott. And so Craig Scott, you guys, was a student at Columbine High School during that massacre in 1999. He was in the library under the table with two of his friends who got shot. And then his sister, Craig's sister, was one of the first to get shot during that massacre. And so you might have already heard Craig and, and, and Mike speak because they've spoken to millions. They've been keynotes, keynote speakers for the American Association of School Administrators, uh, the National Education Association, uh, the National PTA Conference, and you've also done countless interviews with Oprah, the Today Show, uh, geez, good morning, America. And now, Mike, you're joining me, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, okay, so, Mike, give us a little more of a background. So, you and I got connected, actually. Let me just step in real quick. You and I got connected through a mutual friend, and she said, hey, April, you know, I was telling her what I wanted to do for my next podcast, and she said, you got to get on Mike Donahue's Facebook page, read his latest post, and that post is you're reworking a chapter of a book that you already wrote called Talking to Brick Walls. And that chapter kind of spun off from a conversation you had with a good friend of yours who's a principal in the school. The principal was told F off from one of the kids in front of their fathers, right? And then that principal kind of, and you said, I hope, you know, you suspended them. And the principal's like, nah, I can't. And we're going to get into a little bit about that. But to Mike, um, you know, before you started Value Up, you had 
you know, background of your own. So share, share with us where you come from and, you know, um, what your situation is. Sure. I grew up in, I grew, <laughs> I grew up in South Boston, Massachusetts, and I, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. My dad left when I was five and my mom struggled to raise, you know, four kids on her own. Uh, there was a lot of um, dysfunction, drug use and things like that in my life. Um, I went into the military, I was in the Air Force uh, right out of high school, and I was stationed off at Air Force Base in Nebraska, where a very attractive girl uh, asked me to go to church. And I was like, yeah, I'll go to church. I'll go anywhere you're going. So anyways, I'm going to church. But <laughs> like a country I, song. <laughs> yeah, I think it is a country song, actually. If it isn't, I should make one. But uh, I live in Nashville, so yeah. Anyways, um, so what happened was I ended up going to a youth group that had a, a really a really good grasp of how to reach young people. And it was a good training ground for me. I ended up becoming a youth pastor where I was up in Rockford, Illinois for five years which was great. And then I was in Littleton, Colorado. When uh, I was there, I started the youth group that two of the kids that were, that were killed in Columbine, uh, Rachel Scott and Cassie Burnell, uh, went to our youth group at, mm -hmm. at certain points. So yeah. um, I had a real desire because of that and some of the things going on in my life, I really wanted to get into schools and talk to kids about the social issues that they deal with because they're immense. They're, they're a lot different than when we were in school it's it's unbelievable the pressure these guys face every day and thanks to social media it doesn't rest so their right. phones are connecting them to that social world where i grew up my social world was done at 3 30 i could go home take a break re reboot they don't have that luxury anymore so that pressure is is immense um i so to kind of piggyback on what you what you said the story you're referring to um i've been speaking all over the country and i have a good friend of mine that's in a school in, uh, in Ohio, and we ended up talking one day, and I happened to be there, uh, I wasn't even doing the school, I just happened to be driving through, and I stopped in to see him, and so we were talking, and he said, yeah, I just got out of a meeting where I was cussed out by a kid in front of his dad, and uh, I said, how many days did you suspend him? And he said, I can't suspend him because he has a thing that the social worker is not a doctor, but yeah. the social, social workers diagnosed him as having con compulsive control disorder. So in other words, unless they can prove that this kid calculated what he was going to say or do, they can't really give him any consequences for, um, for his actions. And so what I use that as kind of a, a launching point of what I've seen in this country where we're not, we're, we're really allowing these helicopter parents and these, these um, the parents, good, good, I think good intention parents are trying to, um, take away pain, take away the natural con consequences of, of actions, um, you know, they're, they're rushing in and, and, and maybe, uh, you know, advocating for their child when, when, it's, when the child needs to maybe face some consequences. And what it's producing is a victimhood mentality. And so what's happening with young people, and, and I love them, I'm, I'm de I've devoted the last 35 years of my life to yeah. serving young people. So I, what I see is detrimental to them is that they're not able to be resilient enough to handle crisis when it comes because we keep going ahead of them and, and putting up pillows and putting up roadblocks and putting up things that are going to keep them from the natural consequences of actions. And what's happening is because that, uh, that lack of resiliency, when they do have real issues come up, divorce, uh, a loved one dies, uh, social issues in school, like we mentioned, um, they, they are fragile. Uh, yeah. somebody, you know, they're very fragile. So I'm concerned about that. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's gotten to the point though, where it's like just a total disrespect, you know, that some of the kids, and I know they're, they have a hard time, um, expressing themselves, but to tell his principal to F off in front of the father and the father not do anything. And then they have this crazy ass social, you know, disorder thing that they've spun out. It does, it just gives excuses. And so, um, you know, uh, the reason I wanted to, to do this podcast is I, when I moved here, because I'm living in Colorado too, where you were, you know, where you were, where you were living. When I moved here, um, I thought it was just from an outsider looking in. I moved from Memphis, Tennessee, and you know, it just everything here is beautiful. You know, the the mountains, the the sun all the time. Uh, it's Douglas County. So for those that aren't in Colorado, it's Douglas County. It's very affluent. I think the average household income is like 120,000. That is double the national, you know, household income throughout the United States. It just seems like the kids had everything. Um, great parents who wanted them to succeed. Uh, you know, a beautiful home, a safe environment. Uh, you know, just a, just a, a, in, where in Memphis, it's like, God, I mean, I don't even, can't even, I don't even, 45% of the kids are living in poverty there, right? So they're dealing with a ton of shit. Like they're getting, you know, I think my first, my first year as a reporter, because I'm, I am a former reporter. So I think about this stuff. It's just natural to the brain when I come into an environment, like, why is this happening? What is going on? And when I, you know, the kids in Memphis are being sh shot at or, you know, their, their family is just, you know, hardly making it. And the suicide rate is not what it is or even what it was being talked like. Shit was going down in Douglas County when I first moved here. It was, kids were, you know, killing themselves. And it was just, it was crazy. And when I, I moved here, I opened up a fitness studio in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, where, you know, it just is, is absolutely beautiful. And, and women are coming in. We're talking about leggings that we're wearing. We're talking about who's doing your Botox. And then we're talking about what is going on. Like, you know, hey, my, you know, kid's uh, best friend is, you know, this situation's going on. Then I tour the color or the um children's hospital mike you know here in highlands ranch which you're probably familiar with and they're putting in more padded rooms because kids are coming in in droves to suicidal you know and and so i thought what is going on around here that is not going on um in other places and then in your post you kind of hit the nail on the head when you were talking about some something and I don't really know like inner city school kids don't they they are put in situations where they are meant to deal with conflict and so they they know how to do that but the the, the other kids that grow up on the other side of the I don't know rural tracks however you want to call it now um don't right yeah. so um, and I know I kind of went off on a little tangent there, but it's like, 
I just wondered, you know, I was like, I thought to myself, what in the hell is going on here? You yeah. know, they, they just seem to have everything, but. Yeah, when I, when I lived in Colorado Springs in 2017, Newsweek did an article about Colorado Springs because they had such an epidemic of teen suicides um, that our company actually, Value Up, got involved right away and we started doing schools there all over, um, you know, Colorado Springs area. And what we found was when we did, one of the schools that I, I spoke at had six suicides in a three year span. And one of the kids actually hung himself um, at the school. And so it was a, it was a, it was a real problem, obviously. And yeah. what we found was a lot of the students were coming from affluent homes. Yeah. So they, they, they weren't kids that were in the hood or, you know, in Memphis or, or even, even in Colorado Springs and the Southern part or even in Pueblo, uh, the suicide rate wasn't that high. It was high in these, uh, these basically white rich kids were, mm -hmm. were killing themselves. And so some of the emails that I got back from, from the kids when we would come do an assembly and I would, one of the, my opening line when I get serious in an assembly is I pick up a shoe and I say, you know, the whole idea that everybody has a story, I say, everybody has a story and your story matters. And I actually say this again, I say, I have to say it again, because some of you are in the habit of disrespecting yourself. So I need to say this again. Everybody in this room has a story. And so what happens is because we, we honor their story, no matter across the board, whether you come from a bad home or a good home, you have a story, you matter, your value matters. Yeah. What, hap what happens is I get these kids emailing me. And when we got the emails back from from students uh, in Colorado Springs, some of these same schools, they were saying stuff like, uh, you know, hey, listen, I, I want to tell you my story, but I know it's not as bad as other people's story. And they were apologizing for talking about their struggles. So what I learned, what I, what I, what I really got to see close up is this, this idea that because they come from good homes, because they, you know, they're, they're set up to win, they feel this obligation to keep that narrative going, to keep that story alive, even though their real story might include everyday struggles like depression and yeah. um, you know dealing with self self esteem issues and the, the social pressure and even the academic pressure that comes on them because a lot of them are military families they come from the Air Force Academy and places like that so their parents are high achievers and they feel this pressure to never make a mistake I cannot fail if I fail it's fatal if I fail it's it's bigger than it should be and and that worried me a lot because it's like the kids weren't allowed to struggle. And some of that was coming from the parents, the helicopter parenting, I'm gonna do everything right. So if my kid has a problem, oh my gosh, it's like an indictment on my parenting instead of, instead of hey, let's, let's unpack this for this kid. Let them talk a little bit, let them express their, their, you know, their frustration or their, their pressure they're feeling um, and, and see where it goes. But they cover it up, they mask it with activities and, and, you know, and, and anecdotes that don't work. And then when they slow down, that's when the thinking, the thinking, the thinking starts. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then that's when, you know, you jump, they, they jump on social media and there's all these, you know, apps and just, just negativity talking about, you know, you hear a lot of it, like in the, you know, in the, in the music. And I, I'm glad that a lot of people are talking about their troubles, you know, with anxiety and things of that sort. I think that um, it's helped us be more open about talking about it, but I don't think it's helped anybody really when it comes to dealing with it. And 
I don't know, there's just so much negativity that they can go to there and they do go there uh, because yeah. when their minds race, what do they do? Well, what the, what the schools have been doing, which I think is really good, is they're allowing kids to, and they, you know, programs like ours and other programs that they've brought in are saying to kids, listen, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Where that stigma of, you know, I can't be not okay. I can't, I have to be perfect. I have to do everything right. I think that's starting to go away, which I think is really good, but it's also caused teachers and administrators and school staff to have to almost be social workers and be, um, they're going to have to be, take care of issues that they, you know, if you're a math teacher, you didn't train for this, you know, you're right. you trained to be a math teacher, but now you're handling self-esteem issues and self, you know, social issues that kids are dealing with because there's, there's said there, there's, they're, they're basically spoke to and said, hey, you, it's okay not to be okay. And so yeah. that, but that's increased the, the volume of students saying, okay, thanks. Let me tell you my problems. You know, and so, you know, it's a catch 22, but I think I'm glad to see that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I am as well. And I loved that when you and I were just having um, a personal conversation on the phone, I was, I was telling you a little bit about the situation I'm dealing with and, um, and, and it, one being um, a family member of mine who's a teen and, and he, you know, said, hey, I want to go um, to New York and I, I want to, you know, I want to pay my respects to this YouTuber who, you know, popped, jumped off the bridge and, you know, and I'm like, oh, for God's sakes. And I was like, Mike, what am I doing? <laughs> How do I approach that? You know, I'm like, and I started telling him, well, you know, get your good, get good grades, do something. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh, you're not going to, you're not thinking of anything like that, right? And then you told me, and I loved that, is like, start to ask him, like, well, what, you know, what do you, what interests you in that, in that YouTuber? And what, what did you like about him so much? And, um, yeah. and, and become interested in it because you haven't only spoken at schools, but you're also a father and you've lived in, through through this yourself you have how many kids i have five kids yeah so you're not just talking about walking into schools you're you're a dad and you know a lot of times a lot of times kids have heroes like that like why that perked my interest when you said he he wanted to go pay respects to this guy who committed suicide who was a youtuber well i would find out what he was youtube what 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 was his genre what was he doing what was he talking about and then why did he kill himself because some for some reason your family member has a connection to him and mm -hmm. and instead of what a lot of times adults do is because they don't understand it they just want it to they just want to cover it go well, you shouldn't do that well i understand that yeah. but there's a reason he's doing it and if yeah. you really want to open them up and go, hey, let's have a talk about that. What do you, and without judging, because that's what we're famous for, adults, and I've done it. You know, yeah. we, we judge. We want to judge them and, you know, quickly move them on to the next thing. And they may placate you. They may smile at you and go, okay. But inside, they're not, they're not, they're still there. They're still stuck in that, in that mindset. So to open them up, judgment is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. It, it, you gotta, you know, think about yourself. If someone's, if you know someone is judging you, you're very, you're closed up. You're not going to talk to them. You're going to, yeah. you're going to say the right things when you need to say them. But kids need to feel safe. They need to feel safe socially. They need to feel safe with a person, especially an adult. They need to feel like they can say what they 
they need to say without being judged. And they're going to say some crazy things. They're going to have crazy ideologies. They're going to have crazy heroes, you know, that, that we don't understand. Yeah. But we, we have to be willing to listen to why those people are the heroes. Music mm -hmm. they listen to, videos they watch. Why do you like that? Well, I want to know why. And then shut up. Don't, you know, don't put your two cents in right away. You know, think it through and process it yourself a little bit before you come rushing in with your, you know, your glasses. You put your glasses on and you want, <laughs> you want them to see it through your glasses. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't always work. You know, take no. your glasses off. Yeah, when he said that, I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sick to my stomach. I'm like, oh, oh Lord, what That's am I going right. to do? You know, and so it just, um, and I'm sure many parents, uh, you know, feel sick to their stomachs quite often, and I feel for them on that. Um, you know, I want to talk about, and, and just to kind of, you know, wrap it up is the Caterpillar story, because I think that, you, you know, you mentioned everybody knows that story, but I didn't know that story. <laughs> I loved it. And I sent that story to my family member that we're discussing now. So I just oh, loved cool. that. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's just that story where uh, there was, you know, the caterpillar wants to turn into a butterfly. So it has to go to a cocoon and, and struggle through it. And, and that struggle of coming out of the cocoon um, is what gives them the strength to, you know, become a butterfly. But um, the story goes where a well-meaning, you know, little boy was walking by and seeing the struggle and, and I, see, I look at like parents like that, you know, they see the struggle with yeah. their teenager um, and they want to rush in and fix it. What this kid did is he cut the cocoon open so the, the, uh, the caterpillar could get out, but it crippled the caterpillar because he needed that struggle and to, you know, to turn into a butterfly. And, and our kids need to struggle. Sometimes we, you know, we're on the front row. We have, the, we have a front row seat to their pain, which is tough. If yeah. we we're in the bleachers, it'd be different, you know? But we're in the front row. We're watching a breakup. We're watching, you know, bad choices. We're watching uh, the result of somebody not doing their homework when they should have, and then they get a bad grade. We're watching all that, and we want to run in and fix it. We want to cut the cocoon. But that's the worst thing you can do. You you have to allow to the struggle. But what I said in the, in my art in my, my chapter was a lot of times parents suffer for their child instead of with their child. There's a huge difference. Yeah. You can't just let them suffer by themselves because that's not fair either. I mean, they, they, you have to get in their life. That's what I'm talking about, listening and, and understanding where they're coming from. That's suffering with them, right? But if you suffer for them, that means you're cutting the cocoon and you're, you're making it easy for them. And that's not helping them. That, that's going to, in the in long term, that kid I mentioned at the beginning that cussed out the principal, what's he going to say when he's, when he's 25 and he beats up his girlfriend? He's going to say to the cops, I have troll issues you know they're gonna say i don't care you're going to yeah. jail and that that's what i'm talking about we can't keep cutting the cocoon open and making it easy for our kids we gotta let, let them struggle but not alone stay on the front row don't get up and go get something to drink you know sit on the front row watch it coach them do the best you can but don't jump in there and call the principal every time they get in an in in issue coach your kid coach your i'm i'm the expert on this supposedly right I, there's very, I think one time I ended up calling the principal, if I can remember, I think it was one time out of all five of my kids. I, I've tried to stay out of it and coach them to deal with the principal, to deal with the teacher, to deal with the kid. Coach them. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't let them alone, but don't yeah. get in it for them. If you get in it for them, it's just going to teach them to be weak.
Yeah. And don't ignore it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love the line you use, resilience is produced in the struggle, not by removing it. And it just goes, you know, for adults, what we, what we say is it's, it's not what happens to you, it's, you know, how you react to it. And what happens to you happens for you. So you yeah. learn from it. And Absolutely. that's what, you know, creates you. So... Yeah. Um, you know, if I didn't have, uh, I was the new kid every freaking year in school, <laughs> you know, and, and, I and, you, and you're looking like you do, you girls must have like crucified you. <laughs> um, you know, the big city ones, like my Jersey girls, they loved yeah. me. But then when I went to like a small town in Ohio, they were like, <laughs> like, yeah. who's Just this big ear, you know, earring girl and. And I'm like, hi. Yeah, I got tortured. Oh, I got hit across the, oh, I got slammed into the lockers. Well, and that's, you know, that's another thing. I told, uh, I told my family member I was talking to, I said, one year can make a huge difference. They said, because junior high, I come in and I go to this school and I am like the senior girls, they're throwing eggs at me. I mean, it was, you know, just something else back then. And then senior year, I'm on homecoming court. I'm, you know, one of the most popular, you just one year, you just wait it out, yep. keep your head up, you know, and value yourself, right, Mike? You know, yep. Yep. Um, give yourself that, that self, you know, talk, I don't know, whatever kids do, you know, to, yep. to, to know that there's more to you than what somebody is telling you. Yeah. You know you. They don't freaking know you, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but they don't know that when they're in it. Right. Yeah, so. there's, there's circumstances. I'll close with this little story. So JFK Jr. crashed his airplane back, you know, uh, years ago and was killed. We all know that story, right? And yeah. I'm a Massachusetts guy. And so I, uh, I was flying the next day or a couple of days after he crashed his plane. There was speculation that he crashed his plane. He didn't, he didn't know his instruments. And so when he got in the clouds at night and dark and he was going through, you know, um, into, into Martha's Vineyard, he, uh, he lost control of the airplane. So I was curious. So I was sitting next to it. I happened to be sitting next to a pilot flying somewhere. And I asked the pilot, I said, why did JFK Jr. crash his airplane? Do you think it was because he didn't know his instruments? He said, I know exactly why he crashed his airplane. He said, of course he knew his instruments. You can't, it doesn't matter who you are. You're gonna, you can't get a license to fly unless you know how to read your instruments. Here's the problem. He said, young pilots always, they, what they tend to do is they don't believe their instruments. So they get in the clouds and he goes, because of the, your inner ear and yeah. gravity and all that, you're flying at 150 miles an hour. You, he goes, you will swear you're upside down. Your body will tell you, you are upside down. So what you do is you start making little corrections to make yourself feel better instead of being locked on your instrument and going, nope, I'm going to stay on that. So what I think what young people do, and obviously they call it, a, you know, he, he corkscrewed into the, into the ocean and was killed and it's tragedy, it's tragic. And a lot of pilots do that, but a lot of teenagers do that too, because what they do is they don't believe their instruments. Their instrument is, you are valuable. It doesn't matter what the head cheerleader thinks of you or, or, the, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Your social circumstances do not matter. They're, they're feelings. That's mm -hmm. correct. So what you do is you're like, my boyfriend broke up with me. 
So I must not be a valuable person. I start adjusting. I stop self-medicating. Maybe I cut my skin. Maybe I, I drink something. Maybe I take a pill. Maybe I, whatever, I smoke. But you start adjusting according to your feelings instead of staying locked on your instrument. And your instrument is the fact that you have intrinsic, built-in value, God-given. And if people aren't, you know, acknowledging God, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Our constitution says we all have value. We have value that cannot be taken away from us. And that's what's going on in our country. When people don't feel like they're valued, they fight for it, right? They fight right. for they fight for with groups. That some of the shooters that um, you know in these school shootings have, have felt valueless, valueless. So they they try to take that power back by you know obviously doing crazy things. Yeah. But that's an, that the issue is not changing the circumstances. The issue is going inside and realizing that you have value no matter what that you have intrinsic value. And that's what our program is about. Our program is about helping young people not fight off the bullies and, and, but, but in taking an inside look and going, I'm valuable. So right now, April, if you called me a black cat, I would think you were crazy, right? I'd be like, she's on crack, you know, she's messed up. So I wouldn't believe you because that's obviously not true. But if you said to me, hey, you know, you're a loser, I might have to, now, I, now the responsibility of what you just said falls on me, not you. We, yeah. we make it the bully's problem, but it's a my problem. I either believe you or I don't, right? So if I, if I do believe you, that's my issue, not your issue. You can call me whatever you want. But when I start to believe what you call me, when I start to believe you, you that think I'm valueless, that's the issue. So the issue is I have to understand that I have value. That's our mission. That's Craig and I both uh, are fighting hard for young people to understand they, they have value no matter what their circumstances are. Yeah. Craig was in the library of Columbine. I grew up in a crazy home. It, it doesn't matter. The messages that we got were, I wasn't valuable, right? Craig was in a library where two boys were walking around killing human beings. Obviously, he was in a valueless situation. I grew up in a home that was crazy, like I said. And so it, everybody's getting messages. You have to go inside and go, I am valuable no matter what. Absolutely. Uh, to wrap this up, Mike, is there, and you know, I know that you've written a book called Talking to Brick Walls, but is there, you know, for parents that are dealing with this, uh, is there a book maybe or anything that you can suggest they go to to get some kind of, you know, I don't know, education, peace of mind, just some little reading, you know, pop in something in their car when they're driving to work? Sure. Well, there's, there's tons of, stuff on, um, you know, parenting. I'm sure they all know that, but I, I have a, a book. I wrote another book for teenagers that we actually give to them. We don't sell it to them. They can get it online. Um, they can get it, you know, a, a PDF version of it online uh -huh. on, our, on our website. I'll give that to you. Okay. They can also order one. They can buy them off the internet if they want to, if they want a hard copy of it, it's called value up. Same of our program. Okay. And it's a walkthrough on intrinsic value. It, it goes more in depth to why you have intrinsic value. And when you have it, what do you do with it? And then the natural byproduct of, of valuing yourself is that you're going to value others. That's why I think it's a waste of time for these speakers to go to schools and tell kids to value others when those kids don't value themselves. Why would I value you if I don't value me, right? So I've got to value me first, and then the byproduct of that's going to be me valuing you. So Value Up is the name of our book, and we'd love to have you, you know, either order one online. You can download it 
up free off the website value-up.org or okay. you can or you can buy one online if you want a hard copy but and when you buy one it helps me give away more to kids because we give the hard copies away to kids at schools so very cool well yeah. thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate Those of us living with people suffering from a mental illness have a lot to deal with too. They're not the only ones hurting. We hurt with them. Having a supportive community is so important to your health. Would love to hear your story too. Email, of course they make me crazy, at gmail.com.